All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, uh, speaking to you this September 13th, 2016. And uh, I'd like to remind you, also write a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And you can uh, subscribe to both of those letters by going to miningstocks, miningstocks.com. You can also pick up uh, a lot of commentary on, uh, on things that I believe affect the markets. Uh, very interesting articles uh, from Zero Hedge and elsewhere. We provide links there so you can follow a lot of the key stories, the drivers be- behind the markets. Also, uh, you can keep up with the companies that I follow in my newsletter and the news events for those companies as well. Links are there at miningstocks.com. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, Coral Gold Resources, New Legacy Gold Corp, Brazil Resources, Novo Resources, Columbus Gold, and Aran Resources. Well, I've titled today's show, A Brain-Damaged U.S. President with Finger on the Nuclear Button? Question mark. Our guests today, William Engdahl, Dr. Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver, as almost every week we have Michael with us, and he'll be, we'll be asking him about these crazy markets in just a minute or two. Well, amidst uh, growing evidence of, of severe health issues facing Hillary Clinton and ongoing revelations of lies and corruption involving the former Secretary of State and the Clinton Foundation, makers and shakers in American politics like Karl Rove and uh, Rupert Murdoch and a host of other neocons appear to be conceding a possible Trump presidency, and as such, now seem to be seeking to guarantee that the strings attached to their new White House puppet are intact. How might either candidate deal with the rising economic powers uh, that are re- that are growing in China and Russia? The new Silk Road stretching from China all the way to Eastern Europe, well, that's a topic we'll be discussing with William Engdahl. Uh, or does it really matter, in fact, uh, if it's really true that the president is not the president? In fact, there are uh, the military-industrial complex and the bankers, the powers that be, and the people that create money out of nothing are in a position to basically tell people what to do, including the president. Well, does it really matter if Hillary if Hillary wins or if, or if the Donald wins? So those are more questions you want to pick William Engdahl's brain on uh, on those issues. Now, after a first commercial break, I will be speaking to Dr. Quentin Henning. He's the president and CEO of Novo Resources, which is personally my number one 
pick. It's the uh, stock that I have the largest percentage of my portfolio in. Uh, Dr. Henning has discovered one of the most interesting and I think potentially one of the most significant new gold discoveries in many years, that being in northwestern Australia. Uh, at least uh, that's the way I see it, and uh, I think there's reasons to, uh, to be very optimistic about what Dr. Henning is doing. Well, he has a lot of exciting things to tell us, so I hope that you'll stick around and listen to Dr. Henning, and he'll come to us right after the first commercial break. But before we get there, we do want to talk to Michael Oliver on a day in which there does seem to be some blood rolling in the streets down on Wall Street, and that uh, some of those financial districts seem to be hurting quite a lot today. Stocks and bonds going down. When the stock market goes down, we used to see money transferred into the uh, into the bond markets, the U.S. Treasury markets. That doesn't seem to be happening today. Uh, so we're very pleased to have Michael with us to try to help us figure out what's going on. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Oh, great to be here, Jay. Always good to have you with me. You know, uh, the Momentum and Structural Analysis newsletter, folks, go to OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com to catch up with Michael and to uh, consider subscribing to his letter. Michael, over the weekend, you provided more evidence that the uh, T-bond is nearing the edge of, of the abyss, I would argue potentially. Uh, at least that's the way I sort of read your letter. I see today that the T-bond market is getting hit hard again, despite the fact that money is also uh, coming out of the equity markets. As I say, we used to see during normal times, we'd see money coming out of the equity markets going into the T-bonds or into the uh, treasury markets short term or wherever. doesn't seem to be happening today. So what's your read? My read is that they will, uh, they are rejoining at the hip <clears throat> after many years the other way. Um, or many jiggles the other way. Uh, there might be a moment here and there in the next few months where you get such a sharp decline in stocks that bonds do rally that day or for a few days, you know, that, that type of thing. But in general, mm -hmm. I think their major trends are headed down in sympathy. And those higher rates will bring lower stock prices. And I think the shock effect is how much sharply higher the long end of the government bond market rates will be from where they are now. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of talking heads out there now that uh, hedge fund managers and <clears throat> not just the people from the Austrian School of Economics, but, you know, people on the other side of the spectrum also talking about the government debt bubble and the worry. Mm -hmm. And so there, it, it's a rising consensus. And uh, I'm not a contrarian, so I don't believe in fading the crowd. But mm -hmm. um, I do see potential between now and the end of the quarter that a lot of markets are making the movements toward major moves that will mm -hmm. unfold in the fourth quarter. Down in stocks, down in T-bonds, further up in commodities, more decisive up in commodities and gold. <clears throat> but that there's confusion in the final weeks of the third quarter. And there's some technical reasons for this I could explain, but it would bore you. Uh, it just looks to me like it's happening in all of these markets, so don't be shocked if the bonds throw a little fitful rally at some point in the next few weeks. Uh, that will confuse the bond bears, the, the witch mm -hmm. bond bears. Uh, mm -hmm. Stocks, I think uh, when I came into the month, MSA put out a report and we said 2118. If you see that number, this is not just going to be a mildly down transition month. It could be sharp. Uh, we stopped at 2119 the other day. <laughs> Today, just above 2120 at 90 miles an hour. We stopped that. <laughs> so I love my number. If you touch that number, I think you might see unchanged on the year before the month is out. That's down at 2043 or something close to that. Uh -huh. However, even that, there, there could be some confusion between that low and where you are by the early in the next quarter. You could get a rally. I don't think you go back to the highs or anything like that, but you could get a sharp little rally if you go down that low this month. 
But anyway, what I'm seeing is the arm wrestling match is aligning the markets for a decisive move in the fourth quarter. Down stocks, mm -hmm. down bonds, up commodities. All those major play tectonics that you talked about, yep. uh, grinding slowly, it seems, against each other. But when the uh, you know when something reaches that sort of that that uh, critical point of energy, everything explodes, and you have a massive change. It can happen. I, I guess that's what you're looking for. That whoosh moment. For. That yes. yeah. It could happen any. It could happen any time, and of course, uh, you've been warning about this now for some time. And uh, I think people need to be aware. Well, just with a couple of minutes left yet, uh, gold seems to be holding up pretty well today in this market in which almost everything is going down. I saw it was down five or six bucks uh, for the most part, about a half of one percent. Any concerns about gold at this stage? No, I still don't have concerns. I think gold is in a congestive mode. I think it's playing around. I think it's uh, doing the, the more important issue for me really isn't the gold. It's the gold miners. And yes. I'm not concerned about downside. I'm concerned about, I think what they're doing is they're setting the stage of confusion this month because they had a sharp down, if you recall. Uh, then we said when they were down in the 25s that we'd probably see 28 and a half, 29 before the, in a rally. We saw that last week. But that rally would fail. We'd come back down. We're coming back down. I think this is really just congestion prior to certain things happening next quarter for the GDX, which is the ETF that I watch, which is the major gold miners, and it's unlevered. Uh, so I think the best thing to do if in the gold mining sector is cover your eyes and believe. <laughs> I say that with technical <laughs> confidence, not with, yeah. with sheer faith. Uh, I think they're, they're setting confusion so that the next move can come out of the confusion sharply. And I think it is a sharp resumption of the upside. From, mm -hmm. uh, I'll give you a specific number. Uh, if you see the GDX trading around 27 zone any time in the fourth quarter, early fourth quarter, buy it right there. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, uh, right it, so. and the GDX, of course, for sure, I can tell you that, uh, that, that my particular portfolio is down a 5% today, but that's because I have a lot of very high-risk, high-return exploration stocks in there in the GDX, and those are not down not by anything like that. But I think, Michael, you were suggesting last week that you're not quite as convinced that the gold shares will necessarily outperform the bullion now. We've seen that happen, of course, during this first a few months of this bull market in gold, but uh, you're still of that opinion that we may see relatively relatively more strength in the bullion than in the uh, no, than no, in the miners. No, no, I, I still think you've got more strength in the miners, but it's it's oh, not the big deal anymore. It was a okay. big deal in the first nine months because oh, yes, gold went up 100 plus percent. Gold went up yeah. 25. All and right. I think that GDX may still beat gold a little bit marginally, but it, it's a coin toss now. If you want to buy bullion or equivalent thereof. As opposed to the miners, I think it's you're not missing a lot at this point. All right, very good. Well, well, thank you very much again, Michael. Oh. We're out of time. Uh, always, never enough with you. But thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Jay. Uh, for your comforting words, and uh, we'll look to talk to you again next week. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to take a commercial break. But when I come back, I'll be with Dr. Quinton Henning of Novo Resources. So don't go away.
Foreign Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Foreign is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Coral Gold is an experienced precious metals explorer. Coral recently sold its flagship Robertson Gold property in Crescent Valley, Nevada to Barrick for $20 million and a royalty that increases with the price of gold. Coral is now refining its vision and focus for gold exploration in Nevada with over $20 million in cash, a favorable share structure, and three gold properties in the Crescent Valley region near Barracks Cortez Pipeline Operation. Coral is well-positioned to pursue a number of growth opportunities now under consideration by management. Coral trades as CLH on the TSX Venture Exchange. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Quentin Henning. Uh, I must say up front that I have a very strong vested interest in having Dr. Henning on my show because his company, Novo Resources, is not only my number one pick in my newsletter, but it's also the largest allocation in my own personal portfolio. Dr. Henning uh, is the president and CEO of Novo Resources. Um, you know, we've, we've talked to him several times in the past, uh, so I'm really looking forward to an update from him. Novo Resources trades... Uh, in Toronto under the symbol NVO. You can buy it in the United States as I have under the symbol NSRPF. 88 million shares outstanding and trading recently at around $1.12 in U.S. money, giving it a market cap of around $100 million in U.S. funds. The company has uh, made a discovery, uh, a near-surface oxide discovery, free milling gold, uh, somewhere grading between 2.4 and 2.7 grams uh, of gold per ton, uh, just under a, a half a million ounces, but with enormous amounts of upside exploration potential. I'm expecting that Novo uh, in its current drill program will come up with more ounces probably. It's doing a lot of exploration and development work and so uh, we really want to uh, thank Dr. Henning for coming on with us again today. Thanks for joining me, Quentin. Thank you very much, Jay. Always good to talk to you, you know, just as a matter of background. I'd like you to explain for those of people that are listening to this show that may not have heard you several appearances in the past. You know, we have a lot of new people now paying attention to the gold mining sector and perhaps you could talk a little bit about what attracted you to Northwestern Australia? I must say that I got interested in your story so much because of a sort of a more of a romantic aspect to the idea, uh, your novel theories about how this, the greatest deposit ever known to man, the Whitwaters ran gold deposit, so much gold in such a small area was concentrated. And your theories about how it was put there led you to Northwestern Australia. Talk to us a little bit about the Whitwaters ran deposit and your search for another and why you think you may have found one in Northwestern Australia. 
Sure thing. Yeah, look, uh, to give a little background, the, the Witwatersrand Basin in South Africa is the largest gold deposit on planet Earth. It's produced something around 1.6 billion ounces of gold over uh, historic times. Uh, that amounts to about 39% of all world gold production, which is just kind of astounding. The the Wits is a conglomerate hosted gold system. The gold is hosted as fine or occurs as fine particles within the conglomerates, often associated with carbon. And about 20 years ago, I did some work on that carbon. You know, a lot of people recognize it as being an important component in the gold ores, but really had no clear idea of what what it was in, in context. The work I did with myself and a few other people that has been published over the years indicates that this carbon was actually fossil remnants of cyanobacterial mats that lived way back at the time of these conglomerates were deposited, and the the gold was actually precipitated by these uh, organisms. The, the oxygen that these generated pulled gold out of seawater. Uh, back in that days, gold concentrations in seawater would have been much higher than they are today, and this was almost like a little gold factory. These these bugs were kicking off oxygen, really the first oxygen on Earth, and as a result, it was precipitating gold. Uh, we see that uh, pattern in Australia. Australia, the, the rocks we're dealing with are very similar in age to the Witwatersrand Basin, so I think it basically was deposited in that critical time period. And at Beaton's Creek, for example, we see uh, a fine-grained gold component that is likely a precipitated gold form uh, probably occurring in the similar or having, having formed in a similar way to those in South Africa. Uh, we do see paleo-alluvial gold for sure. Like we've got gold particles that are definitely washed into the basin. That's not a question. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's really that, uh, that secondary component, that precipitation event that kind of gives these deposits that extra bump. All right, so this took place then, as I understand it, Quentin, about the time that photosynthesis started to occur, and that's why you're talking as something, I think, with the Beaton's Creek project that you're working on now and, and moving towards production, that that is something like 2.7 billion years ago. Is that right? That's right. It was kind of a window around 2.65 to 2.95 billion years ago that this process really kicked into gear. Uh, and the conglomerates we have are right in the middle. They're about 2.74 billion years old. And so because there was so much more gold in the ocean water at that time, uh, with the occurrence of oxygen and these new this, this new plant life, I guess that uh, enabled the precipitation out of the ocean water into the plants. And uh, the plants collected the gold essentially, right? That's correct, yes. And, uh, and so that's, that was your theory. That was a new theory. That wasn't something that was widely thought of. And, and when you did some work at, at Newmont and elsewhere, you, did your, you, you studied this in great detail and came up with this theory. And that's what took you to northwestern Australia. I guess what you were looking for was a sort of a shallow sea basin uh, and the rocks that were of this age, right? That's correct, yes. When we found it at uh, near the town of Nulligine in northwest Australia. Okay. Uh, so you've more or less, uh, I think, proven the concept that you have a Witwatersrand-like conglomerate deposit there. You put a, a deep hole down, uh, some was it two kilometers away from the surface area where you're working now, went down, what, 600 meters or so, uh, and, and you intersected the same reef, right? Do I have that right? Yes. We, we There was a couple of years back, we drilled a hole, a vertical hole, tested the 
the, the down dip of these same reefs. We encountered, I think it was three or four reef units that gridded around 0.x gram. Uh, they're definitely out there. In hindsight, the drill, drill hole was too far from the shore. I probably should, you know, should have pulled it back, but I didn't realize the, the nuances of geology at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did demonstrate that this process was, uh, you know, continued out into the basin for sure. And it, it's still alive. We need to simply explore closer to the shoreline. All right, so you've uh, you've done some work. You've done quite a bit of work, actually, and you've done some metallurgical work now. You're, uh, you're test mining now, I believe, and you're going to be processing uh, this material, and this will be part of a preliminary economic study that is scheduled to occur sometime in the near future, right? That's right. So what we're doing right now, we've drilled up a resource on the oxide portion of this. It's basically where these reefs come to surface. They've been subjected to intense weathering. Uh, the oxidation has broken the rock down. It's affected broken down into its original components. And so it's soft, it's free digging, the gold particles are are freely liberated, and they're gravity recoverable. So what we're doing is developing that oxide portion of the system first, and the intention is to get cash flow from that, get get some production that will then lead us down into the sulfide ores and, and gradually further out into the basin. Uh, to give people a sense of what we're trying to do at the moment, we've got a trial mine going where we've mined 30,000 tons of these conglomerates. Uh, we're presently crushing them and now processing them. And over the next two months, we anticipate uh, processing the entire 30,000 ton bulk sample. Uh, the data from this test will give us uh, much needed you know, detail about some of the economic aspects and, and geological aspects of the project that we need to fill in our economic study. Coarse gold is a challenge to work with. You know, nuggety gold uh, tends to be very hard to measure in rocks. You know, think about it. You, you got nuggets in your, in scattered throughout your rock. You know, the odds of grabbing one in a, a sample that goes in for a fire assay are pretty slim. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, oftentimes uh, when you, you try to measure it, like you grab rock samples and have them analyzed, uh, you miss those nuggets. What we're seeing as we trial mine is we're, we we anticipate, I should say, uh, that we'll see a bump in the overall grade. Uh, what that bump might be, we don't know yet. We have to get that kind of data, but it will be very, very important uh, to this project going forward. So your resource uh, ranges somewhere between 2.4 and 2.7 grams per ton. Is that just with the oxides or does that inclu- include some sulfides as well? Mm-hmm. That does include some sulfides. The grids are very similar in oxide as, as well as the sulfide. Like I said, we have nuggety gold, so we are looking to see what kind of potential up, up bump we, you know, upgrade we have uh, in that material. Right. Well, your initial main resource was, was a lot less than that even. It was uh, just with, I guess, with drilling. Then you went to wider wider drill, drill cores, I guess, and uh, you did some bulk sampling as well, right? Um, the initial resource was actually modeled on three-meter benches, so it was a diluted grade. It was heavily diluted. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we did the second time around was we modeled the reefs very, very tightly, so we, we measured the tops and bottoms, and effectively we came up with volumes of rock that were tightly constrained and carried grade. So we eliminated that dilution. Uh, the trial mining we've done has actually demonstrated we can be very selective about how we mine this. Uh, when we're mining and stripping waste, for example, we can clearly tell when we've hit the top of the 
targeted conglomerate. Uh, the excavator operator can feel the boulders with his, you know, the teeth on, teeth on the bucket. And then, uh, you know, when it comes time to extract the reef, he's able to, to mine it and tell where the rock goes soft underneath. So, you know, basically, uh, probably put blindfold fold on the excavator operator and he can mine it, no problem. Oh, that's uh, that's very important, of course. Dilution is, is always a consideration. Well, when do you expect to have your preliminary ex- economic uh, report done, Quentin? I know that you were delayed a little bit in the permitting process. It sort of held you back a bit. But um, yes. do, do you expect to have uh, some small production from this trial mining yet this year? Yes. So we're going to process the rock over the next two months. Hopefully, we've completed that by late October or early November. Uh, the data that we gather from this will include some assays that have to be taken at the end of the program. So uh, we'll have data to present to the public uh, about the actual grade of the material and some other aspects. Uh, say sometime in November or, or you know towards the end of the year, we'll put it. Uh, yeah, we did get off to a slow start. The permit took quite a long, lot longer than we thought. Uh, the downside, you know, it, we were delayed. The upside is the project was reviewed in excruciating detail, so that when we go to get our commercial permits, the uh, regulatory authorities will already have you know become familiar with the project, and hopefully that process should go much easier. Right, and your preliminary economic assessment, we might have to wait then until early 2017, possibly? Uh, we're hoping by the end of the year, but it could be early. It could, could yeah. slip a little bit. Yeah. Well, you have, uh, I, I know you have a small, relatively small gold debenture. You borrowed some money that way, and I think it was December 15th when you, if you produced 2,000 ounces or so by then, that you would have the right to call that or to repay it, I believe. is that? Do I have that right? Yeah, the way it works is the, the participants who bought the debentures, the units in the debenture, uh, have the right, w- once we hit a threshold of 2,000 ounces produced, they have the right to decide whether they want to receive, you know, payback in gold or in shares. The upside, like if you look at the the difference in price right now, the upside is greater if they receive shares at the moment, and we hope it will be going down the road too. But look, uh, uh, my suspicion is that when the time comes, they will probably opt to take shares. But you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right. So, how much of this uh, oxide near surface uh, material do you think exists there? Do you, do you have a lot? Do you have more exploration to do to delineate the resource, the oxide resource? Uh, there's certainly more oxide resource we can bring into the model. Uh, right now, our, our main goal is just moving towards production. Uh, the way I see this is, you know, why why spend a lot of time and money and, and get further distracted trying to add, you know, immediate resource when we already have a sizable resource sure. we can develop. So, no, we're, we're focused like a laser right now on, on making the mine. Can you give our listeners some sense of, of why the economics appear to be very robust? And again, the PEA will help to, to document that. But could you give our listeners some sense of what the, uh, what the aspects are of this project that, that make it appear to be quite economically robust? Sure, sure thing. I mean, this is what's really fun to talk about. So the, the oxide, like I said, the rock is heavily decomposed, so it's quite soft. We do not need to drill and blast, uh, which makes for very cheap mining. Uh, we literally can push this around with bulldozers and excavators. We anticipate very cheap mining costs. The trial mine that we just did, uh, the the cost of moving one ton of ore down to the wrong bed. This is inclusive of everything, you know, stripping, uh, road maintenance, whatnot. Uh, the cost was less than ten dollars a ton. I mean, that's yeah. kind of astounding. Uh, the the other big plus is the gold. It tends to be fairly coarse. Uh, there is some fine grain gold, like I said earlier, uh, but we anticipate recoveries of around eighty percent in a commercial mine uh, at at very low processing costs. You know, perhaps less than twenty dollars a ton. So. 
if we can keep mining and processing less than thirty dollars a ton, and we can recover, you know, say on the order of two grams per ton, you know, the economics look very, very favorable. Uh, the one thing I will point out is during the trial mining, uh, the processing we're doing does not include a fine grind component. So right. the gold will get out from uh, the trial phase will be largely the coarser, you know, coarser gold grains. Uh, so our recoveries won't be that 80%. They'll probably be more like 50 or 60%. But that you know that's fine for the trial mine. That's that's good enough. We don't have the uh, we we don't need to beat this thing to death. But um, we are very encouraged by the potential economics of the project. Uh, startup costs could come in say in the neighborhood of. Uh, 18 to 22 million U.S. Wow, that's uh, that is incredibly low cap cost for this day and age, for sure. And uh, probably once you, uh, assuming you you prove up a much larger resource, uh, at some point in time there would be a milling process that would capture most of that gold. You're not getting the coarse, uh, the uh, fine grain gold that you're not getting now, right? That you expect not to get right away. Yeah, sure. Look, in, the, in any gold that's not recovered in our commercial scale mine will be a future resource without sure. Yeah, sure. it'll be available that you know. It, it's not it's not walking off <laughs> all right well look that's a, the beaten creek story but you have some other things that are going on there that are i would argue perhaps equally exciting talk to us a little bit about some other properties you picked up that are all sort of encompassed in an area you refer to as the mosquito creek basin and i understand that it's very important to note that this deposit was laid down you figure somewhere around the same time a little earlier perhaps around 2.9 billion years ago that's Uh, right sure so to give context uh, the mosquito creek basin is immediately adjacent to beaton's creek uh, it's it's a somewhat older basin. It's about 2.92 billion years old. Sedimentary rocks, once again, a little bit different uh, facies. They're deeper water marine, or you know, sedimentary rocks. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, they appear to be very, very rich in in gold. Like in background levels of gold, these rocks have uh, a very, very high, probably five times crustal abundance, hmm. high level of gold. Uh, now, what's happened to those rocks, and what I didn't appreciate early on, is that you know through metamorphism and um, you know just uh, faulting and whatnot, the gold in that sequence of rocks was remobilized and, and reconstituted in these very very high grade veins. Uh, you know, initially I, I kind of looked at the, the occurrences out in the Mosquito Creek Basin as curiosities more than anything. But about uh, a year ago, we we were able to buy the blue spec property for about 650,000 cash and shares uh, from a, an Australian company that had been struggling. And we were very fortunate in doing so. The resource at blue spec uh, is about 220,000 ounces. It's, it's uh, inferred and indicated, I believe. Uh, it's a jork resource, by the way. Um, and it's about 16 grams per ton gold. It's wow. also got a very high component of antimony with it. Now, the um, when we bought the property, we spent about six months putting data together. We also did a lot of prospecting uh, on the ground, and we I changed my view entirely. Look, uh, I'll be frank. Uh, when we started to model the data and look at you know possible extensions and whatnot, it became clear that this thing was wide open. Looks like it could grow dramatically. So. Uh, we've we've acquired some further ground in the area, also along the blue spec shear zone. It's the same structure. It's it's ground further to the east mainly. Uh, so we now control something like 60 kilometers of strike along this blue oh. spec shear. And we've we've sampled in many locations and come up with you know plus 10 gram, you know even 
tens of grams per ton type grades in many, many new locations. Uh, so we're, we're very excited. We've got a drill program starting in a couple of weeks uh, t- targeting the blue spec area, but also these new targets, these new uh, prospects that we found along strike. Uh, I, I sincerely think that this could be one of the better exploration projects I've ever worked on or ever seen. Um, it, we're very fortunate. We recognized early on that the gold the rocks out there were quite enriched in gold, and because of that, we were able to kind of strategically position ourselves into this new area. All right. Uh, well, that, that's I, I noticed uh, some reference in uh, in the materials on your website that, uh, in fact, it is an area where people go every winter, and they you know prospectors go and they pick up uh, free milling or just nuggets essentially. And uh, it, it is known that whole area is just known every year. People go there, and and um, I guess fairly seriously, they they go there to pick up uh, to pick up gold that's lying around on surface. That's right. Every winter, which down in Australia, of course, starts in around May. Uh, uh, people go out and, and metal detect, and it's probably one of, if not the most popular area in Australia to metal detect. Uh, we have hundreds of people, literally, and you know, I, every day we hear about new discoveries. Uh, got an email two days ago; somebody found 270 grams of gold. Obviously, uh, you know, it's it's the work, uh, the systematic, scientific approach that you will take that will uh, allow the investment community to start making some serious decisions about about what this is all worth and what it all means. You know, we can always hear uh, anecdotal stories about people who pick up ounces of, of gold here and there. But what really matters is uh, once you start putting this thing together systematically, how much are you going to be spending uh, on both projects, uh, Quentin, going forward uh, through the end of this year, let's say more or less? Yeah, so at, at Blue Spec with our exploration program, uh, our budget's uh, targeted at $1.8 million, uh, but I am looking to, to bump that up a little. We completed a raise a few weeks ago, and we have the bandwidth to, to bump that up to maybe two and a half to three. Uh, given the targets we have, they're fully it's fully justified. You know, I, I can see some low-hanging fruit, so we're probably going to ramp things up there. As far as Beaton's Creek, uh, the mining, you know, the, the trial mining and processing uh, is going to cost around $2 million. We've spent about half a that already processing is going to cost you know roughly eight hundred thousand more between now and the end of the year. So we're we're in good shape. We've got lots of money and we're able to, to do the work we need to do. All right, and let our listeners know, Newmont is still a large shareholder. How many institute? What sort of institutional holding do you have besides Newmont? How much does Newmont own? And you know, because I think one of the concerns that uh, that some people have is it's still kind of difficult to buy shares. I, I see the the move is quite dramatic uh, today. For example, is looking at anywhere from one cent up to. 10 cents up and you know all around you know it's quite erratic the share do you expect there to be more liquidity sometime soon and and who owns your stock right now dr henning yeah, sure. So Newmont holds about 22%. Uh, Mark Creasy, who's a well-known prospector in Australia, holds about 12 A group called Richmond Capital holds about 10 B- Between all of those three parties, myself and others in, inside Novo, you know, we control around 51%, I believe. The, you know, the free float, yeah, it's a, it's a bit tight, but if you look at our, our volumes, they've been increasing, you know, combined uh, Canadian-American volumes, mm-hmm. they've been increasing towards 100,000 shares a day level, which is, is great, you know, compared to a year ago, it was maybe 20,000 shares a day. Yeah, it's hard to get hold, hold of shares, but, uh, you know, I would urge people to, to be patient and, you know, look for, for opportunities. Just in summarizing now, what so what should people really be watching? What, should, what are the drivers for your shares going forward here? Your, uh, I guess it's the conclusion of your test mining and the results of that is, is first, and then, and then drill results from... Uh, sure, there's three, three uh, components. So uh, we didn't discuss a project we have in Nevada. We just completed drilling there, announced it earlier today. 
the results are going to come out over the next few weeks, so we'll have news from there. Uh, we'll start blue spec drilling here sh- shortly. That's the high-grade project I discussed in Australia. Uh, blue spec should generate news over the next you know, four or five months as we drill and, and receive assays. And then, you know, last and not least, uh, the, the results from Beaton's Creek, the trial mining, which is really going to demonstrate to the world how good a project this is. Uh, that news will come out towards the end of this year. Well, wow, that's it. Really, is exciting. I mean, uh, there have been a large, uh, you know, long periods of time when uh, the shares seem to be going nowhere, and even more recently, a lot of the shares started moving. Uh, only in the last couple of weeks, Novo has started moving. Uh, it, it seems to me, Doctor Henning, that we're at the beginning of a very exciting period of time. Assuming, as I do, that we are in a bull market uh, of of some duration here, that should really uh, serve those that are on the long side of the of the gold share markets very well. But especially, I mean, I think your story stands out in my mind at least, from most of the others. So I want to thank you very much for the time. You've given us once again, Dr. Henning, and all the best to you, and uh, I hope we can do this again sometime soon. Thank you very much, Jay. New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more newlegacygold.com that's n-u-l-e-g-a-c-y gold.com again n-u-l-e-g-a-c-y gold.com you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Now, welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And I'm really pleased to have with me once again one of my favorite guests, F. William Engdahl. Thank you for joining me again, William. Good to be with you again, Jay. Always good to talk to you. You know, I, I want to ask you about an article that you wrote uh, pertaining to Hillary Clinton's health, and that's one of the topics you want to talk about. But before we get there, I'd like to ask you a little bit about, well, just sort of pick up where we left off the last time I had you on the show. We talked a little bit about uh, the CIA's attempted coup against the uh, the regime in Turkey, uh, Erdogan's uh, government, uh, and and it seemed uh, very definitely that that caused Erdogan to move towards Russia, uh, and and the relationship between the U.S. and Turkey was really you know quite quite cooled down. Although I guess if you if you think about it, the CIA trying to over overtake or overthrow a government, it wasn't exactly a healthy, happy relationship to begin with, perhaps. But I'd just like to ask you before we get into this other topic, what, what are your thoughts now in terms of the relationships between Russia and Turkey and the US and Turkey? Where does that stand? There is huge simply not disinformation uh, so much as wrong information uh, about what's going on between Turkey and Russia. Uh, 
uh, after the visit of Joe Biden to meet with Erdogan. Uh, I think Biden's task was very simple. He was on a, on a damage control mission mm -hmm. to keep Erdogan from leaving NATO and made major concessions about the U.S.-backed uh, Kurds in, in Syria. Mm -hmm. Uh, to keep Turkey in, in, the, uh, in the family. Uh, but the, the most telling thing, I think, uh, to explain the state of Russian-Turkish relations is the fact that the energy ministers about three days ago of Turkey and Russia announced that they were ready to sign the first stage agreement for the construction of the Black Sea underwater Turkish stream pipeline of Gazprom from Russia to Turkey that would go to the border of Greece. And then huh. the European Union countries have the prospect, take it or leave it. If you want to have energy shortages, then leave it. But if you want to have secure energy supply, this is an option. Hmm. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that would go. That that's going over very well with our CIA and our military-industrial complex. Not at all. They're, they're, the problem is uh, Washington has maneuvered itself into such a stupid situation by their insistence on on these series of wars. You know, the neocons, including Hillary Clinton, uh, yes, initiated the Arab Spring back when she was Secretary of State. 2011, 2012, before her brain concussion forced her to resign. Uh, and, and this was a lunatic venture. She took advice from uh, sick people like David Petraeus, uh, you know, the, the former head of, of the Afghan operation, who Afghan surge, the architect of the uh, Iraqi surge. What a brilliant mm -hmm. piece of stupidity. Right. And, and then the, the Saiwar propaganda of the neocons makes him into the great hero of victory. And then he becomes uh, head of the CIA and forced to resign because he leaked very, very highly sensitive information to his lover, who uh, by some accounts has ties with the Israeli Mossad. I can't verify that, but uh, he certainly committed indiscretions of a level far less than what Hillary Clinton did with her private emails. Right. But it's, uh, it's really, uh, really fascinating. I, I want to ask you now, just another question comes to mind, William. You know, we're uh, a new government in the Philippines also is turned extremely hostile towards the United States. Uh, what do you make of that? I was in China. I was invited to China for the launch of uh, my newest book called One Belt, One Road, uh, The Eurasian Century and the new Silk Road project uh, two weeks ago and uh, I was asked the same question by the Chinese. And Duterte is as yet an X-factor in international politics. I think he's a man of, of the people in the mm -hmm. way that Lula was in Brazil and so forth, coming out of the trade union movement. That's uh -huh. a deal for what ordinary people are hurting from, from these oligarchs. His predecessor, up until the end of June, was from the Aquino plantation oligarch dynasty. Mm -hmm. Did everything the Americans demanded of him. Exactly, yeah. But then, as fate would have it, Aquino could not run again as president uh, or, or prime minister. And 
so the free elections, there's a huge national sentiment in, in the Philippines that uh, brought Duterte in as, as a fresh voice. Mm -hmm. Now, what is not yet clear is to what extent this is uh, psychological you know, street fighter rhetoric, you know, when he's attacked for his war on drugs. The war on drugs is very serious in, in Duterte's uh, government. They, they've killed about 2,000 drug lords and mm -hmm. pushed and so forth because he wants to eradicate this and he feels it very deeply. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that will have an effect on the drug trafficking, uh, no doubt. Uh, it may not be the most uh, human rights conscious approach to it, but it may have more effect than George Bush Sr.'s war on drugs or, or uh, <laughs> anyone else in terms of uh, you know drying up some of the sources. I can't say. I can't judge. Yeah. Uh, there is, I know from Philippine uh, friends over years, there's a very strong Philippine good nationalist sentiment that get the American soldiers off our throat, mm -hmm. get America out of the Philippines. They made us an American colony without giving us rights as a state in 1898 in the Spanish-American War. And since then, we've had nothing but trouble from the U.S. presence. So they want, you know, the, the ordinary Filipinos want an end, end to this. And I think Duterte's uh, constituency reflects this. Yeah. Now, when Duterte comes out and uh, the U.S. ambassador calls him on the carpet and says, you're not obeying human rights with your drug campaign, and he goes out and says, the U.S. ambassador is a gay son of a bitch. Yeah. He's, speaking, he's speaking to his people. Exactly. And he's, he's saying, I don't care if he's the ambassador of the world's superpower. He's a son of a bitch, and I can say that. And yeah. you know, he hasn't gone through the diplomatic, uh, politically correct schools, that's for sure. No, that's for sure. And, and I understand, William, that he is now demanding the other day he demanded that the u.s get their base off of uh in southern southern part of the philippines yeah. that the u.s remove their base yeah. that's serious business that's serious it's business serious. Yeah. and uh, i i think there are a number of signs and the chinese i spoke with are very cautious they you know want to not get led into some kind of trap or something but but they're very cautiously optimistic that they can make uh, economic agreements and so with Duterte that will calm the tensions about the islands. Mm -hmm. And that will be to the good of world peace on all sides. Well, I'm just wondering if, uh, if you know, this new leader may be seeing some economic advantages to cutting ties with the U.S. and uh, perhaps seeing a, a, at least economic advantages for the people, if not for the ruling elite there. Uh-huh. So, anyway. I all right, well, I... I yeah. That's a part of it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to get your thoughts on those two issues that have come to come to mind recently. That I come into the into the fore of geopolitics recently. I think it's just really interesting to see uh, that the U.S. is is certainly not gaining popularity around the world as it uh, as it wages its wars. But uh, one person who could be counted on to wage wars 
as we're you know just talking about her health, Hillary Clinton's health, and you oh. wrote a an, an article. Um, well, I think it's become pretty obvious to everybody, even those hardliners that wanted to support Hillary to the very end, that she has some very serious medical problems. And and you um, you wrote an article about mid mid August that was really very timely, and now especially with the nine eleven event where Mrs. Clinton clearly could not stand up on her own. Uh, she had her own nine eleven. Her structure collapsed. Yeah, really, to, to put it bluntly. Okay, talk to us a little bit about um, your article and, and, and what you were passing on to people. I mean, people should be going to your website to read these things anyway, but, but perhaps you can just fill us in a little bit on some of the background. The evidence started coming out. Uh, there was a radio show in New Jersey. I think a Dr. Bardak was quoted, uh, or uh, there was perhaps a medical report that was leaked, uh, and then she later denied uh, what she had uh, supposedly had said. And I'm not that she denied it, but the Clinton campaign denied it. Claimed that she denied it. Yeah. And that's very different. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, well, the point is, if anyone has looked at, you know, when you run for president, there are a lot of cameras that you cannot control. Right. And what was it, 292 days that Hillary Clinton did not give a live press conference? Right. In December last year. And people began to say, well, what's going on? You know, here, she wants the highest office in the land. Why doesn't she speak openly with the press? And, and uh, not that Obama is much better, but it was becoming extreme. And then one after another, incidental uh, YouTube films of Hillary having coughing attacks lasting up to four minutes long, slipping and falling. I saw one where she was getting into a, a charter jet and she was on level ground and she collapsed. Mm. It wasn't that she stumbled over a stair that she didn't see. She yeah. collapsed. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I saw another one, and this you can't fake this, where someone asks her a question, a press pool, and Hillary starts laughing hysterically, yeah. starts shaking her head back and forth uh -huh. and smiling uh, like a complete zombie. Yeah. And, and the, the journalist looked totally freaked out, as she should be. Yeah. And then she started smiling to, to kind of calm the thing down, I guess. I don't know what. But those are all classical symptoms of... Uh, episodes of, of not only epilepsy, but Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. Now, what we know, and this is what I researched when, when I saw some of these videos, is that whatever her personal physician in Mount Kisco Medical Group, upstate New York, Lisa Bardak, MD, has said through the Hillary campaign or not said, uh, what's clear are there, there are symptoms on the public record that look very scary. What is clear is a statement of her husband, Bill Clinton, in 2014, two years after she suffered a con brain concussion from a fall as Secretary of State in December on Pearl Harbor Day, my goodness, December 7th, 2012. And two years later, Bill Clinton told NBC, ABC News, her injury required six months of very serious work to get over. 
he claims it was over. But in February, she resigned abruptly as Secretary of State. No mention to her health problems. My, yeah, that, my conclusion is she couldn't handle the job as Secretary of State, and her husband advised her, focus on the campaign, I'll do the campaign for you, you just appear and smile at the right moments. Mm -hmm. So this is like Dr. Strangelove, uh, Mach 10, if all this is accurate. Yeah. Now, I'd like to say something about the 9-11 uh, event in, in New York. Yes, Europe. please. Because, first of all, it's violating every Secret Service uh, health procedure on the books that she was not rushed immediately to a certain pre-designated hospital for emergency care uh, for the symptoms that she exhibited, you know, passing out, collapse, muscle, muscle collapse, and so forth. And instead, supposedly brought to Chelsea's midtown apartment in Manhattan, her mm -hmm. daughter, from which she is claimed to have emerged 90 minutes later, smiling and greeting a little, you know, seven or eight-year-old girl and smiling and waving and saying, I feel fine. Some people are even suggesting that was a Hillary double. But oh. let's go to the pneumonia statement of her campaign after all this hesitation. They claim that Dr. Bardock diagnosed pneumonia on the Friday before the 9-11 event. Hmm. But then if Dr. Bardock did not order her immediately into emergency intensive care for pneumonia as a potential president, uh, that doctor ought to be uh, disbarred or, or uh, what do you call it with the doctor? License taken away. It, it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if that's true, it may not be true. It may not. It may simply be another Hillary Clinton campaign lie. Yeah. Which more and more is looking like the case. So they had to come up with something that people would. But these are not the symptoms of pneumonia when you have total leg collapse. These are not at all the symptoms of pneumonia. And everybody in the world by now has seen those that, that video. Who knows who took it? Some people say it was a uh, New York NYPD uh, policeman on duty who uh, was, you know, just making a smartphone video of the potential president and watched this happen and put it on the internet. Who knows? But it's there and it's undeniable. Yeah, it's undeniable, and, and I think the campaign is starting to realize uh, that it's undeniable. And, um, you know, I, I think that you, you had mentioned Parkinson's, and there is a, an excellent video, uh, the link to which people can go to, to miningstocks.com. That's my website. And if they go down, uh, to scroll down the page about halfway, you'll see a, 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 a section there in which uh, it ha happens to be about the second link there now. Dr. Ted Noel... Uh, gives an, a lengthy interview in which he is uh, he's saying, look, I'm not her attending physician, so I can't say with complete certainty, but I have observed Parkinson's, and this woman, going back as much as 10 years ago, started to uh, dis display some of the symptoms of Parkinson's, and that she could appear totally normal at certain times and then totally collapse at others is is well within uh, the early stages of, of Parkinson's. So, I mean, nobody wishes M Mrs. Clinton ill will uh, with respect to her illness, that's for sure. I certainly don't, and I'm no lover of Hillary Clinton, that's for sure. But I think, uh, Jay, that's, that's not the issue. 
No. The issue is political responsibility by, if Hillary Clinton is not in a mental case situation to be responsible, certainly her husband and the people around her and the Democratic National Committee to say, ladies and gentlemen, this woman is much more severely ill. She may even die if she has another one of these seizures, as many medical experts have already said. And uh, this is not, uh, we're not going to continue this human sacrifice. Uh, All right. Well, well, William, maybe the issue is not really the person of the presidency, but rather the people surrounding the presidency and the power that they uh, that they that they look to uh, to wield, uh, and certainly uh, you mentioned uh, the former president, her husband, and others. And you know, if you believe, as as I tend to believe, that the president is not necessarily the president; that there are powers, the ruling elite behind the president, the bankers, the military-industrial complex, and so forth, uh, that they may have quite a, a a problem on their hands here because they, uh, they certainly don't they certainly don't want to see Mr. Trump in there, who's say, who, who seems to be at least on the surface, uh, an anti-establishment guy. So what, with, with two minutes left here, William, what, what sh how should Americans be thinking about this? How, what should we be doing? How should we be planning I, to vote? I think Americans should not be thinking in terms of the lesser of two evils, because that's always a trap. I think Americans should make a protest, maybe completely boycott the elections, 100%, and say, we want a new clean slate of human beings as presidential candidates that don't lie to us, that don't uh, fake their health situations, that don't call for wars everywhere. Uh, and let's see who steps up and let's postpone the elections for six months or two months or whatever it takes. Yeah. It's doable. It's all doable. There are laws on the books that allow state of emergency. Uh, unfortunately, they were made by people who want to create a police state after 9-11. But uh, this situation, I think the... the uh, Boring old patriarchs, as I call them, the oligarchs, the David Rockefellers, the George Soros's, the uh, Warren Buffett, they simply don't have a clue that the whole world that they built over the last 50 it's, years or 70 years is collapsing. It's tumbling down, isn't it, William? Unfortunately, they don't uh, have a clue. Yeah, they 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 seem to be clueless, but uh, you know we're out of time. Unfortunately, it looks like we're just about out of time. Uh, again, uh, folks, uh, William Engdahl, look him up, and um, uh, the website, uh, William, give it to us again so people will go there. WilliamEngdahl.com. Very simple. William Engdahl, E N G D A H L dot com, and Excellent. all my articles, my interviews. I have a, a free online newsletter if people sign up for that. And I'm about to offer uh, paid podcasts uh, on a monthly basis. Oh, wonderful. Okay, well, we want to get you back when you have your book in English, uh, the new book that you mentioned, The One Belt, One Road, because I think that is an, a really, really important issue that people should be aware of, because I think underneath it is driving a lot of the wars, a lot of the, the consternation on the part of the Rockefellers and the others that you just mentioned. We do have to go now. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank you so much, William, for being with us. Folks, next week, Alistair McLeod will be my main guest. I hope you'll join me then. Until then, goodbye and God's blessing to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
Carl Gold is an experienced precious metals explorer. Carl recently sold its flagship Robertson Gold property in Crescent Valley, Nevada to Barrick for $20 million and a royalty that increases with the price of gold. Coral is now refining its vision and focus for gold exploration in Nevada with over $20 million in cash, a favorable share structure, and three gold properties in the Crescent Valley region near Barracks Cortez Pipeline Operation. Coral is well positioned to pursue a number of growth opportunities now under consideration by management. Coral trades as CLH on the TSX Venture Exchange. New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more. NewLegacyGold.com. That's N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Again, N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com.